Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are breaking down a Knicks loss, a fake comeback to end all fake comebacks. Emmanuel quickly notches 31 points in 24 minutes to bring the Knicks back from what was initially, it looked like it was going to be a huge blowout. And Gavin, I, I think we've got a lot to talk about in terms of Emmanuel quickly today. Living up to his long-held Emmanuel Thickly nickname. Um, that was uh, James Marcita given. And yeah, he was he was incredible. You noted it. A career high in this one. Um, some other stuff to note. The, pay, the Trailblazers, excuse me, just going off in the first half. Absolutely burying the Knicks. Damian Lillard playing like a video game character. And then the Knicks, um, not only offensively, but defensively. An epic run in the second half. We'll get into that and so much more on this edition of Locked on Knicks, including a Mike Vorganov cameo, the athletic writer. We'll get into it right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get twenty percent off your next order. I am Alex Wolf. I am the editor-in-chief of Knicks blog, The Strickland. You can find us at thestrick.land in your internet browser. And I'm joined, as always, by Gavin Shaw, play-by-play announcer in non-COVID times, now a full-time Knicks podcaster, day and night, and everything in between. Uh, Gavin, we, we got a lot to talk about in this game, mostly in terms of Emmanuel Quickly. Um, I, but I'll just give kind of a, the general game recap here. The Knicks came out looking like this was going to be the game where they finally got exposed for the the thing that everybody's been talking about lately, which is the Knicks are giving up so many threes. Eventually, the other shoe's going to drop, and they're going to you know start getting burned all the time because they're giving up so many threes. And it certainly looked that way in the first half of this game, right? Like the the Blazers put up seventy points in the first half. They shot twelve of twenty one from three. They shot 25 of 43 overall. Uh, it was just, it was a slaughter. I mean, they were, I mean, just looking at some of the guys that were shooting well, Lillard shot five of five in the first half, three of three from three, had 18 points. Uh, you had Gary Trent Jr. shot three of five from three in the first half. Afrini Simons shot three of four from three in the first half. Rodney Hood, one of two. Derek Jones Jr., one of two, hit a hit a three-pointer. And he's he's been, from what I understand, struggling. I'd be lying if I said I'd watched a ton of him this year. Then the second half, Knicks come out, only give up 46 points. To your point, Macri, Jonathan Macri, Knicks Film School, noted in his newsletter today that prior to when things sort of devolved into fouling late when the Knicks were, you know, in the throes of their 
their fake comeback here, the Knicks had only given up up until what you said the last two minutes. They'd only given up thirty six points in the second Literally, half. The last, the right? last thirty seconds. The last thirty seconds, they'd only given up thirty six points, which is insane. Uh, and you know, so that was only once they got to the point of having to foul Damian Lillard and stuff like that 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 became an issue. And then you look also at the the shooting in the second half. I mean, Afreni Simons uh, hit one of two from three, which was you know good for him. But Trent goes zero for two. Lillard, by his standards, comes back to earth, shoots three for seven. Uh, they left Carmelo Anthony open a lot, which normally doesn't work out well. Uh, but he shot one of six from three. Robert Covington, oh five from three in the second half, though he kind of just looked off all game. You know, the the Knicks really ratcheted up the defense to a degree, and they were still giving up some threes, but they were doing a better job contesting. Um, and also just regression to the mean came into play, uh, which, spoiler alert, we have a, a really nice episode with sort of a bonus appearance in the middle of this episode come up with Mike Vorkanov where we talk about that, you know, just about how the Knicks defense has been so far this year, how much of it is sustainable, how much of it isn't, that sort of thing. Um, but Gavin, I, you know, I think that I've sort of buried the lead here. We haven't even talked yet about how Emmanuel quickly set a new career high, 31 points, had 10 of those in the first half, but his real damage was done in the second half. He frustratingly didn't get in until the start of the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter alone had 21 points on six of 12 shooting three of five from deep six of six from the free throw line. Uh, surprisingly to me, only had one assist. I thought he had at least two where he hit Mitch for lobs late in the game, but I guess I was mistaken. But uh, at any rate, I mean, it was an awesome, uh, beyond awesome game for me. I mean, he was to the point late in the game where he and he and Dame Lillard were, you know, as they were exchanging free throws and stuff late in the game, were sitting there just like chit-chatting with each other as they were shooting free throws like they were old pals. Um, because, you know, it's like they were peers at that point because quickly just took over in the fourth quarter and, you know, put the Knicks almost within striking distance of winning this game, which you would not have thought possible uh, prior to that. So we, we took a little bit of time to talk about the quickly versus Alfred Payton debate with Mike Vorkanov of The Athletic. But what were kind of your general takeaways from this game? about how the Knicks played and then just about this incredible takeover by quickly late in the game. I, I just, I'm, I'm going to quickly throw, Oh Jesus, I did it. Um, you did it. Yeah, All right. Th- throw one in the swear jar. I was going to say, everyone check, check off your bingo card. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe we should, we should give a prize to people if we, if we do it more than five times in an episode, but uh, Alex, um, did this game feel not in terms of the fact that it's not sustainable, but just in terms of the, the magic of it, it felt a little bit how, like how I felt during Linsanity. Like this guy just just comes in out of nowhere, like not really given an ideal opportunity in terms of him not being able to start. And then every time he, he starts like getting action, you're like, oh my goodness, is this guy really, really good? And it just, it, it feels so unexpected. And, and this player is, is inexplicably so confident. Um, the one difference is with Lynn, you, you just sort of felt like, all right, eventually defenses are going to key in on what he's doing so well he's going to stop hitting so many threes and, and he's going to he's going to come back to earth a little bit and that he got that rude awakening against the Miami Heat quickly already had his version of that 
earlier in the season um, where he had that one for 24 stretch or two for 24 stretch. And, and now he's, he's come back and he's, he's like, all right, screw that. I'm, I'm going to take it up to a whole nother level. And tonight, to your point, he, he was the alpha dog on a floor with Damian Lillard down the stretch of this game, out, outshining arguably the best point guard in the entire game, hitting big three after big three, showing off just an insane amount of craft. I'll, I'll get into the details, but I just wanted to know, did you feel that energy a little bit? Because tonight, especially, I was like, this is the first time, as good as the 12-13 one, in 12 years, I sort of felt that that magic about an individual player. Yeah, I guess the only thing that's missing, right, is one, they didn't get the win, which the big thing about Lynn's first first couple, Lynn, well, actually, not even just first couple, they went on, like, what was it, like a a six-game winning streak or something? It was something like that, and he, and he kept hitting all the buzzer beaters. Yeah, and he kept hitting all the buzzer beaters and all that, and then they also... Uh, it, the overall numbers for his first like 13 games or something, they went like 11 and two, whatever during Linsanity, which I don't know if, if this Knicks team is going to ever achieve that uh, based off the overall limitations, but from a pure excitement perspective, yeah, I would say like it, when he got in the game and looking at his numbers, I mean, he and Peyton literally split this evenly 24 minutes, 24 minutes because Peyton played the whole first and third quarter and quickly played the whole second and fourth quarter. And it, it, just the way that it shook down, you know, it was just such a different viewing experience with Peyton out there versus quickly out there. And when quick, quickly was out there and when he was cooking like that, yeah, it did kind of give me those sort of that, that sort of Linsanity esque excitement of watching this guy who, you know, was less heralded. I think our expectations are a little higher right now for quickly than they were for Lynn at first. Um, I would argue that like the first like Lynn Sanity type thing with quickly would have been like the first time that he came in. Well, probably during the preseason, honestly, when he started really showing us what he was capable of. And then the first time in the regular season when he pulled that off, you know, whatever it was, a 17 point game or whatever it was early in the season. And then, you know, now it's sort of culminating with this like, wow, he can he can go out there and he can dominate a game. I mean, this this one was the first one where I really watched it and was like, okay, quickly undisputed I think was the best player on the floor tonight um and and it wasn't even close which is saying something when you have Damian Lillard on the other side this episode is brought to you by Built Bar and Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever I can attest I have them after almost every workout that I have and that's because the new and improved Built Bar is even deliciouser than it used to be they have 18 amazing flavors now including nut and non-nut flavors That includes six new flavors, caramel brownie, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, and my new favorite, cookies and cream. And that goes along with 12 original flavors like coconut almonds, my old favorite because it tastes just like almond joy, German chocolate, peanut butter, salted caramel, toffee almond, and peanut butter brownie, amongst others. All Built Bars are covered in 100% natural chocolate and are soft and easy to chew. So they give you that candy bar sensation without all that candy bar guilt associated. And that's because Built Bars are healthy for you. They can help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. And they are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. For example, the peanut butter bar has 19 grams of protein compared to just 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. And one of my new favorites, like I said, cookies and cream has 17 grams of protein compared to just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. 
So if you're interested in picking up some Built Bars for yourself today, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. Quickly, he was pulling off like Lillard-esque shit. Like he was, he hit a step back three in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. That was amazing. He had this like, in the, I think this one was in his fourth quarter stint. He had this beautiful, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Just the patience that he showed, you know, he, he ran a pick and roll at the top of the three point line and kind of worked his way in, probed, stopped, went, stopped, went again, you know, kind of turned his back on his defender to create a little space and then drove in and like got just enough space to get up a nice little layup on the inside. I mean, just beautiful footwork and timing and everything else on that play. He wasn't over-reliant on the floater in this game, which was good to see. Like he wasn't using that as his, his go-to for every time down the floor. He just used it when it was appropriate and otherwise went to the hoop more often. And then just like the foul drawing is so savvy and it's quite frankly, I mean, I don't even know if I'll call it Lillard-esque because Lillard is more just the type to just, rise up and splash it over you rather than trying to jump into you. But he draws fouls like some of the best foul drawers in the game at this point, like, you know, the hardens of the world and stuff where he just has this great idea of his, of where his body needs to be, you know, and body control and everything to the point that he, he can, you know, he, we saw him do it twice in this game. One was he was getting chased around a pick uh, by, I think it was Afrini Simons. And, you know, just kind of was like, oh, I've got the advantage here and leaned into Simons a little bit and started shooting so that, you know, Simons would come in contact with his arm a little bit and drew the foul there. And then the other one was in the corner and the Blazers were trying to argue it was a, what do they call it now? A a side to side or whatever, or like a, a swipe through swipe through. Yeah. Where he was, he was drawing the ball across rather than really trying to shoot, but the the Kevin Durant, I'll, I'll call it. Yeah. But when you watch the replay, I mean, he was actually, his ball was, the ball was on the left and he was bringing it into his shooting motion, which requires bringing it over to the right side. So I, you know, they ultimately determined that that wasn't a swipe through. And was just him getting into a shooting motion. And he got a foul call on Derek Jones Jr. there. And got another three free throws. I mean, those are at key junctures for the Knicks, too. He generated six points that way. Because he made 100% of his free throws on those as well. And it overall made 100% of his free throws for the night. It was, I mean, it was it was funny. We had, I, I actually am not 100% certain if this episode has dropped just yet with James. But we did uh, in one of our parts of our of our mailbag episode with James, we talked about you know ceiling comparisons. For oh yeah, that, that was the one I just wanted. To, that was the one we just put out today. Oh, beautiful! So yeah, go listen to that now because uh, we just dropped that one. But um, you know, when we were talking with James, we were talking about the the whole like ceiling comparisons for all these different guys, and quickly was one of them obviously and we had sort of a debate like where initially James said oh he's kind of like he's kind of like Lillard if he hits his highest ceiling and then I was like no I, I could see more like Steph Curry 
if he hits his absolute ceiling, like obviously light versions of those, we're not going to like set expectations at hall of famer for Emmanuel quickly just yet. But uh, in this game, I don't know. I, I think James's comparison of Lillard was almost more apt, you know, because he just, he was hitting everything and granted not, it's not like Steph Curry can't hit, uh, you know, can't hit step back threes and all that stuff too. But it, his, dynamicness off the dribble and everything too was something that I felt like we haven't really seen so far this year. Um, and just his overall speed, you know, in the, in the half court and in the full court game, uh, you know, doing like fast breaks and everything was next level too, but I've, I've rambled long enough, Gavin, sorry, but it, it just honestly an amazing overall game uh, from quickly in this. And I can't really gush about it enough. Yeah, um, no, you, you know, you know, I'm a fan of his. No, no argument for me. I'll, I'll throw out a. I, I threw out. I know we're, we're getting out of hand here, but just, just look. We, it's been so long since we've had a rookie play this well. So we, I think we deserve to have a lot of fun with it. Um, the guy I'll throw out, and I threw out Nash on the pod, and I'll, I'll stick with that in terms of his form. But a different guy who tonight he most closely resembled to me was Trey Young, and, and just in the fact that he's consistently hitting threes from really far out. Um, this, again, I'm going to reference a lot of um, Jonathan Macri, Nick's Film School newsletter stats, because he, he had a bunch of great ones. Um, ESPN's play-by-play tracker, which he put in there, so I, it's, it's a double reference. Um, he, he hit his threes from 26 feet, 25 feet, 31 feet, 34 feet, and 27 feet out. That's a little Trey-esque. And what that does for Trey, who, who similar to Quickly, is, is not an elite athlete, but everyone, everyone get those boards up, is very quick. Um, when, when you have like a little like jitterbug point guard that you have to guard near mid court, your life becomes impossible. It, it, there's just, there's nothing you can do with that because I mean, and, and it's really, I mean, it's true for almost any NBA point guard you have to guard from, from 30 feet out, except for maybe someone like Luca who, who, whose specialty isn't really his, his explosiveness or at least, or at least his quickness or his first step. Um, but with, with Emmanuel quickly, it's just how do you, you you don't have a chance to contain an NBA level talent when, when you give him that much of a runway and, and time and time again he he is he is leveraging that into into found money for himself and his teammates. There was a stat in that newsletter that quickly is currently first in the NBA when it comes to drawing non shooting fouls and he's among the top ten percent when it comes to drawing and ones as a rookie. And, and to your point, that's a skill in and of itself. But it's a hell of a lot easier when you start off with an advantage of shooting from 25 and 30 feet out. And all of a sudden, defenses are having to respect him there on some plays. And then there are other plays where I was joking about this on Twitter, but I actually do think it's a real phenomena. I, I think defenses are getting so used to the fact that when Alfred Payton is in the game, they just don't have to guard um, the Knicks point guard or the Knicks lead ball handler when he brings the ball up the court that quickly just off of that habit is walking into some open three. So as, as much as I go after Alfred Payton, uh, that's a very backhanded compliment I'm willing to send his way. Uh, my overall point on, on, on those two against each other, um, actually, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll save it, Alex, because we get into it with Mike Borkanov, but quickly before we do, oh boy, I did it again. Um, just just the, the way he changed the tone of this game, because it's easy in, in, in a blowout to pile up stats. We, we've noted that forever, and we've seen a million Knicks do it. That is not what's happening here. Quickly checked in, um, second quarter, Knicks are down, something like 20 points, and, and he proceeds to score or assist on 18 of the Knicks' 24 
um, next points to close out the quarter. In, in a game where they, I think it should have theoretically been over at halftime. He kept them just within striking distance. Alec Burks goes off to for most of the third quarter, gets it to about 12. Quickly, again, via Macri, shout out to him. He proceeds to outscore Portland over the next 11 minutes, 17 to 16. Or, yeah, I think the next 11 minutes, 17 to 16. It, it, it's just nuts what he's doing. And, and then the fact that, and you, you noted it, he made all of his free throws down the stretch in big moments. One of them was just in and out. He's chopping up with Lillard. He's chopping it up with Lillard. This is a star-making performance. And I think, I, I, I've said this before on the pod, my biggest takeaway in not a very long time, but I don't know, seven, eight years now covering the NBA, it, it, it's bad for players without a long-term proven track record. It's a really bad thing to overreact to one game. You're going to get burnt as a prognosticator if you look at one game and you say, this guy is a star. Um, I will only say that one, Emmanuel quickly deserves to start and he has star qualities. And to continue that conversation, uh, let's, let's throw it to our combo with, uh, the athletics, Mike Borkanov, Alex, are we ready for some football? That just means the Super Bowl is coming up. It is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Kansas city chiefs. And there is only one place that has you covered for all your Super Bowl betting needs. And one place we trust betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. All right, Alex, we went, we went one for two last week. We told people that Aaron Rodgers was going to beat Tom Brady into the ground, into the retirement. It did not end up happening. The GOAT ended up pulling a win uh, out of his butt, thanks to thanks to some help, certainly, from a great Tampa Bay defense. Um, in the AFC, we were right on track. The over did hit. We were plugging that strong all week. I had faith in Patrick Mahomes. I love this Bills team. I just, they, I just didn't think they had the winning track record that um the Chiefs did and I'm I'm not an idiot I'm not gonna bet against Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey that's it's one of the more dynamic passing duos in modern NFL history um maybe the most just insane setting up a very exciting Super Bowl Alex and I don't know about you I, I would say I'm not a big gambler in general the Super Bowl is the one thing I really get into in terms of prop bets and stuff yeah there's some interesting ones on betonline.ag as well uh we got halftime specials to to try to guess who's going to come out with the weekend which i'm honestly i'm looking forward to how it, because of the covid nature of everything i think that the halftime show is going to be produced pretty interestingly so i'm i'm intrigued to see how that's going to go we have prop bets on whether ariana grande is going to appear with him doja cat drake kenny g and even whether a michael jackson hologram is going to appear with the weekend, you can get plus twelve hundred odds on that for yes. I might vote that. Ju- I bet that just for fun because why not? Uh, you could do the first song performed at halftime as well. You could bet on that. All kinds of stuff. But on top of it, you can also get all kinds of different. <laughs> oh my god! You could do the puppy bowl, man. You could bet on everything. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Gavin, do you have any real things you want to bet on? I'm I'm a little uh, I'm a little pulled in by all these weird prop bets at this point. Yeah, I. I kind of i I want to say that uh, I, obviously I want to see the line first. Okay, like, I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. Here's a special. How many times will Tony Romo mention his kids or children under one <laughs> half times or over one half times? Oh wow! <laughs> uh, 
I, I could see him doing it at the end of the game, and I, I, I would, I would, I would take the over on that. Um, yeah, I want to see what the line is, but I think, I think almost regard, unless it's just insanely high, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride with Kansas City. I, I think Tom Brady, to some extent, this year, it, it's crazy because I say that I've said this about him like the last like five seasons where he's won. Like I'm like, all right, he's so old. I think it's just smoke and mirrors at this point, and then it, he keeps doing it. So clearly, clearly, it's not that completely, but I still believe that to some extent. I don't necessarily think Kansas City is the best defense to capitalize on that, but they do have Tom Brady's old enemy in, in, in Steve Spagnola, who, who guided the Giants over his Patriots. He knows that you got to apply a lot of pressure, and I think as good as Tampa Bay's defense is, Patrick Mahomes finds a way to shred it. Kansas City's unguardable. I would ultimately take them. The point is, we're not prognosticators. You got to go over to Locked On Bets for that kind of information. But we don't want you to sit on the sidelines anymore. We want you to get in on, on all this action with us. Don't forget to use our promo code Locked On to receive a fifty percent welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and your home for the Super Bowl. All right, and we're back in. As we said, we're going to just have a quick discussion with Mike Vorkanov of The Athletic about Emmanuel Quickly versus Alfred Payton and some of the things that go into that. But also keep an eye out. We're going to have a longer episode with Mike Vorkanov coming out tomorrow that we get into a bunch of other stuff, including his great article on Julius Randle uh, and his conditioning and what has led to his all-star caliber season so far. But here we go with Mike Vorkanov for our final segment of today's episode. Alfred Payton versus... Emmanuel quickly, Mike. Do you do you see a significant <laughs> difference? But I, I know, I know, it's a big matzo ball. But do do you see a significant difference between the two of them defensively? Because nominally, I mean, offensively, I just like maybe maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I was lobotomized in my sleep, and and I don't know it. Offensively, it just it seems abundantly clear to anyone watching. It seems abundantly clear in the numbers um, that there's no real comparison. And and in my mind, like obviously Tibbs, um, based on past trajectory, seems. Seems like a coach inclined. If everything's equal, he's he's usually gonna go with the vet, with a couple of exceptions in his, in his Bulls time. Once certain guys are in distrust, and obviously Derrick Rose uh, was a big exception. Different level of talent, clearly. Um, but a- as of now, the only thing I can think of is there are gu- there are lead guards in the NBA who would potentially bully quickly going to the rim that did not bully <laughs> Alfred Payton. Um, obviously, I-, I don't really see that as a sufficient reason for playing Peyton over quickly, especially on nights when they're going against guys like Steph and Dame who, who do more damage from deep. And again, just, just the eye test, but I feel like quickly is actually maybe the better of the two in terms of staying attentive on defense and staying locked in, even if he's obviously not a great defender by any means at this point, Mike, that's a long preamble. What, what, what are you seeing there that I'm, that I'm not, if anything, I, I don't really deserve. I mean, I think they're about the same defensively. Um, I think it's just so hard to be a good defensive guard too, with the, the way that the game is now um, kind of pretty much meant, <laughs> meant to make defense, especially at the top of the key, uh, really difficult. Um, I, I think part of it is I, I actually think like Tom Thibodeau will play rookies and young players if they're good. Um, and if they deserve it, like even in Minnesota, he played Carl Anthony Towns, Wiggins, and uh, Zach Levine a lot of minutes. You know, like if they're his best players, like he he's just going to play them. Um, I, I think this speaks more to like quickly is good, but he also has down nights too. He's essentially been just playing like the hottest hand. Um, you know, he's been playing the guy who's been 
the the point guard has been better that night and i you know i think before this road trip like they had an equal amount uh they were averaging an equal amount of minutes in the fourth quarter which just kind of tells you how he's been rotating there and some nights it's Peyton, some nights it's it's quickly um you know, Emmanuel quickly obviously played amazing in the fourth quarter in Portland too, but it's not like he was like totally killing it for the first three quarters there, right? Um, things were kind of getting out of hand a little bit at some point. So I, I think if he really is better, like Tibbs will make that switch eventually. I think part of what he's been doing too is trying to find the groups that work. And um, I think that's a very, very difficult thing to, you know, it's a tough needle to thread because like, they have limited talent, and so how do you find the groups that that most accentuate each other um, off the bench and uh, and to start and like they need some talent coming off the bench too because that's a that's what happens when you have little depth is that if the starters come out um, you have problems and that's how you have bigger holes come up. So to me, it's it's less interesting who starts; um, it's more interesting who gets the most minutes. Um, and like last night, I think it was just twenty four twenty four split. But if quickly keeps playing this way, like he has to eventually just start getting the the majority of the minutes. Yeah, I guess. And and Alex, um, you feel feel free to chime in here. I think the only reason I I push back on that is is to me, it, just in terms of a basketball sense, it seems like quickly is a much better fit offensively with the starters, given that he's he's a high level shooter and Elf is, I mean, a historically bad shooter at the point guard spot. <laughs> and the numbers, by and large. Have, have played that out where I think the Knicks, um, this was as of two games ago, so maybe it shifted. They were something like, again, in, they played, I think, a total of like an hour together in terms of on the court time. But uh, IQ, RJ, and I think it was it was Randall um, were something like plus 26 per 100 possessions. And Elf, RJ, and Randall were something like minus one. And then I, I saw a good tweet from uh, Brian Giberman today. He, he pointed out that um, lineups with just Randall, Robinson, and Barrett, like those three with any other two players, are plus 2.3. Peyton, Randall, and Barrett on the court together, minus 0.4. Peyton, Randall, Robinson, minus 0.5. Peyton, Robinson, Barrett, uh, plus 0.7. So it seems like Peyton is the common denominator bogging down those lineups and just intuitively like I think like sometimes you see those numbers and you say all right it's 18 games and quickly has had such limited time with the starters you can't read that much into it but just in the idea that you see time and time again possessions I think get wasted and stalled out because Peyton bricks a three or or last night I I noticed a number of times um Peyton would he, he would actually do like nominally the right thing and like kind of like works work a pick and roll to to cox out a switch and he would, he would get the switch, and then he would just cut to the basket, and, and Portland would just switch back because they said, we don't have to worry about Alfred Payton moving around the court. That's just not a concern, and they could get their big right back onto Randall. You run that same action with quickly, all of a sudden it's like, well, we got to stick with him because he can he can make a three. So that that is that's the only counter argument I would make to that. No, yeah, and I, and I think those are all fair. I mean, I, as you noted, I think some maybe the um the the net rating stuff, uh, the on off numbers depend on like uh, quickly playing more against the bench, and so that's a more fortunate set of players to play against than the starters. But that's not even making excuses for Alfred Payton. I think that just is. I think it'll be interesting if quickly does eventually come up to the starting lineup, uh, what his role will be. Right, I don't think he would be as ball dominant with R.J. Barrett and uh, and with Julius Randle. Um, I, and I think that he would provide a different kind of value there in terms of spacing and in terms of, um, you know, how they can kind of key in on Randall or Barrett when they have the ball. So I think it would still fit well. I would just be curious to see what that role becomes, because I, I think that becomes maybe a little bit of a, 
uh, fundamentally a, a different offense. And that's something that they need. They've been trying to goose that starting lineup with shooting all season long, whether it was Rivers or um, Burks or Bullock or anything like that. So I'm not averse to it. I'm not saying like keep playing out for Peyton um, as a starting point guard. I get it, you know, but uh, I, We'll see. I don't know. Maybe, maybe just Tibbs doesn't want to rock the boat. Alfred Payton is still a respected veteran, right? Like part of it, as much as I think coaches never want to admit it, I guess part of it is probably just a little bit political too. Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's kind of interesting to look at too. I think Tibbs maybe understands the gravity of making quickly the starter as well. Like I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that there's there's something to be said, especially with a rookie overtaking a vet like that. Where like once you make that call, you don't want to unmake that call. You know, like once he once he installs quickly in the starting lineup, you don't want to have to pull him, you know, 10, 15, 20 games down the line because he's playing so poorly or something. And it, because I think that that can I think Tibbs probably understands as a guy that's been in the league for a long time that, you know, you can adversely affect the guy's confidence that way just as good as you can you know, pump up his confidence by promoting him like that. So I wonder if that's something that's in play with this is that, you know, he, he wants to wait until he's for sure that quickly is going to be able to take this job and keep it. And some of that is that consistency because it does seem like, you know, we either see quickly shoots, you know, over 50% and looks unstoppable like last night or like his, you know, his other 20 plus point nights or, um, you know, even just the nights where he scores like 17 in, you know, 20 minutes or whatever, you know, his his points per minute production is just insane uh, compared to most other players on the team or even in the league to a degree. Uh, but then there's those other nights, like you mentioned, where he'll come out and he just plays like crap. I mean, th- th- there's no other way to put it. There are some nights where he actually he just looks like a rookie. You know, you could even look his as recently as the Sacramento game, I, I thought the Knicks were right to not play him a ton in that game because I just didn't think that he looked that good for stretches, um, particularly in the second half when it was you know time to assert himself and close the game, much like he did against Portland. You know he didn't play that good against Sacramento, so I wonder if there's just sort of a a feeling from Tibbs here about once you once you flip that switch, you don't want to unflip that switch of making quickly the starter because that could be just as detrimental to his confidence and potentially team chemistry and stuff like that as you know just continuing to bring him off the bench for a while even if he's playing good because you just want to see that consistency out of him you know I I wonder if that's part of it yeah I get it I mean I don't think like starting point guard in the NBA is the same as like starting quarterback right um even if you're off the bench you're still getting minutes as quickly can show this year I, I think um I understand kind of the confidence aspect of things and um, I don't know. I, I don't buy into that as much. Just me personally. I, you know, I don't know what Tom Thibodeau thinks of this thing, but like just me personally, I think maybe there's a little too much emphasis put on, on that type of thing. Like, you know, these guys have been through some things to get here. Like Emmanuel quickly had a, you know, not a linear progression through his two years at Kentucky. Right. Uh, there were some struggles there and all that type of stuff. Um, I just, I don't know, maybe just there's some hesitation there just cause it's working right now. Like he can play whoever the best point guard is on any given night. And if it's quickly, he'll give him the minutes and, and there's a justification for it, which is that Alfred Payton wasn't playing well and quickly was, and, and that's how it goes. And that speaks kind of to the meritocracy of his minutes, uh, that Tom Thibodeau has been talking about.
All right. As we just hinted, uh, Mike Vorkanov will be back on the pod tomorrow. Really excited to get into it with him. Uh, we talk Julius Randle, um, and, and Mike wrote a great piece on, on Randle's offseason and all the all the crazy things he did to get in shape this year, including a lot of a lot of working out without shoes. He abstained from wine for a few months and, until until recently. Uh, Julius put in the work, and and once you once you hear from Mike, you'll you'll understand why he's having the season he is. We also talk a little bit about the Knicks' defense. Why, despite the fact that nominally, in terms of opponent shot selection, the Knicks should be near the bottom of the league. They currently have a top six defense, and uh, we finish up on on an interesting note, sort of an, an, an inside the biz note, um, with Mike talking about what it's been like covering a team that he can't be around in person. So all that and more coming up tomorrow 